0: mabel wadsworth.org support for weru also comes from wellspring massage therapy 49 water street downtown blue hill located upstairs at the blue hill center for yoga offering a variety of massage modalities as well as preferred provider oncology massage sessions appointment scheduling at 469 0059 or wellspringmassagetherapy.org Massage
1: WERU Community Radio is a renewable resource that keeps coming back to you each and every day, 365 days a year, powering you through your day with great music, local news, and public affairs programming. And like all renewable resources, it takes wise use and careful stewardship of that resource to keep it flowing. Community Radio relies on your renewed support to continue to provide the service you've come to trust and love. As our May Pledge Drive approaches, we hope you will please give what you can to help keep this valuable community resource, WERU, going strong. Thank you.
0: Support for WERU comes from Penelope Shar, MD. Integrative medicine practice in Bangor offering detoxification, intravenous vitamins, bioidentical hormone therapies, and more on the web at optionsinhealing.com or 217
2: You're listening to WERU FM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and we are a voice of many voices, volunteer powered and listener supported. It's going to be 69 today and sunny, tomorrow 73 and sunny wonderful spring weather. It's a healthy option for us, isn't it? Here it comes, Healthy Options.
1: Hello, and welcome to Healthy Options, a program about integrative health therapies. I'm Andre Bella, and today we'll be talking with Theodore Nelson from LEAP, which stands for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. He'll be talking about Ending the War on Drugs. Just a reminder to all our listeners that this is a live call-in show. So at the half hour, please call in with your questions and comments on this very current and controversial topic. That number is 866-625-9378. And we'll be giving that number later on in the program as well. But it is 866-625-9378. Theodore Nelson is a speaker for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and he's going to be talking to us today on why end the war on drugs. Ted spent 26 years as a Michigan state police officer. His career started in Detroit as a trooper. Then he was promoted to sergeant executive protection detail and assigned as a bodyguard to the governor and lieutenant governor then reassigned to the Criminal Investigation Division Interdiction and Conspiracy Enforcement, utilizing Consent Search to interdict the flow of drugs into Michigan. He's worked with U.S. Customs and the FBI on large-scale narcotics investigations. He was then reassigned to investigative resources where his work involved assisting in the coordination of training for detectives and narcotics officers throughout the state of Michigan. He developed and presented many programs on asset seizure and forfeiture, as well as consent search, to many officers and prosecutors. He has extensive teaching experience in criminal justice at several community colleges and career centers throughout Michigan. Ted, thank you very much for joining us today on Healthy Options.
0: Thank you Andre it's a pleasure being here
1: thank you um, can you explain to us first of all what leap is what its mission statement is uh, how it came into being how long it's been around and of course we also want to know uh, how and why you got involved
0: well leap um, law enforcement against prohibition was established in the year 2002 and it was started by uh, a Canadian and four American police officers and um, Uh, And they formed an international organization of professional um, law enforcement people, police officers, parole, corrections, uh, judges, prosecutors, and they have grown to over 150,000 members and supporters throughout 80 different countries, and they have over 150 speakers, uh, which I'm one of them, uh, who are former current law enforcement professionals. That's how the group started.
1: Wow, that's, that's quite a large organization in 80 different countries. So this is, this is an international issue and very much an international organization.
0: It has to be an international issue because this, this, the subject of the drugs is involving in, uh, different nations and countries. And the effects of um, this country's use of drugs uh, affects a lot of other countries in this world. Uh, much more so sometimes than even ours as far as violence goes. And I'm speaking to Mexico, which is uh, many many people are killed in mexico uh, because of this drug war so it affects the entire world basically is this drug war from the middle east to uh, mexico to any country who uh, is involved in this drug trade
1: so you have a lot of experience in law enforcement, and especially involving drugs and narcotic investigations, both with Customs and the FBI. So um, you have a, a very significant background in dealing with this. What made you decide to join LEAP? How, how is LEAP different from what's happening in law enforcement today?
0: Well, um, you know, my son, who... He's much involved in the community, and, and uh, he lives in Chicago, and he's um, very active in, uh, in social change. Um, he called me one day and said, uh, have you ever heard of LEAP? And in my experience, when I was a young officer, LEAP, L-E-E-P, was a law enforcement educational program that assisted officers by getting grants to go to college. So when he said that, Uh, have you heard of LEAP? I said, yes, I I received college funds to go to college while I was a young officer. And he said, no, no, this is LEAP. And I said, never heard of it. So he directed me to the LEAP site and I went there and I started reading and reading and reading. And um, being from law enforcement for 26 years and in teaching for um, over 20 years, Um, sort of a a thing came over me, like an epiphany almost, like um, (laughs) this isn't working. Um, They're doing the same thing they tried to do when I started my career in law enforcement. They're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And the more I read, the more I realized that this war on drugs had, the war itself had worse effects been any solving of the drug problem, and I looked at the history of the war on drugs. I examined the history of alcohol prohibition, and I just kind of looked into it, and I said this has got to change. This is not working, and I felt um, that LEAP was a perfect place for me to be a part of because I truly believe that there needs to be a change in the drug policies of this country, and uh, that's how it came about, um, and it was from a suggestion from one of my sons, and uh, once I got the information, um, it just kind of, it felt like it was part of me.
1: So what what exactly is the, the LEAP mission statement?
0: LEAP believes that drug prohibition is the actual true cause of much of the social and personal damage that has really been attributed to drug use. Um, The prohibition makes drugs worth more than gold, worth more than platinum. I mean, the prohibition of drugs automatically puts drug distribution and drug use into the hand of criminals. We create jobs for criminals and criminal um, illicit markets that thrive on it. And when they compete, uh, they rip each other off, they compete on the streets and they use violence to solve their issues that they have between themselves. They have huge profits. They bribe and kill each other. They use it to affect law enforcement by trying to bribe law enforcement. Um, uh-huh as well as any citizens or any elected officials, it's totally unregulated, and therefore they have no control except for criminal justice agencies, which have tried for 45 years to control drug distribution and drug use. And if you look at the statistics, drug use has remained the same basically the same over the last 45 years but the cost of dealing with drug crime has risen dramatically we have spent over one trillion dollars in this drug war and drug use remains very much the same
1: so leaps policy when they're saying they're against prohibition they're saying they're against prohibition of exactly what
0: when we talk about eliminating prohibition, we're talking about all drugs, not just marijuana, but all drugs. And the reason is that when you, when you try to pick and choose which drugs you want to regulate, you push those other drugs. It's like a balloon that's blown up and you squeeze it. When you eliminate and say, let's, let's make marijuana legal and keep heroin and methamphetamine and cocaine illegal, Then the people who run these distribution gangs will then market their other products, whether it be heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine, and what other drug they come up with, bath salts or whatever they come up with, they will push that because drug dealers will sell any drug if they can sell it to somebody, if they have a a market. They don't care who they sell it to, how old they are, whether they have a problem or not, they will sell it to anybody. So by controlling and regulating all drugs, you take charge of the distribution system to some degree because there always could be a black market, especially if the prices or the controls are too tight. Um, So That's why LEAP believes that we need to look at drug policy as a whole for all drugs and not just piecemeal this thing, like it's being done right now throughout the country, where we have medical marijuana, we have legalized marijuana, we have decriminalized marijuana, and it's just a patchwork of confusion for the citizens of this country, and they deserve better.
1: Now, now, what do you say to someone who might say to you, well, all you're really doing is encouraging people to have more access to drugs and take more drugs?
0: Actually, you're not giving more access to drugs. Kids in high school say it's easier to buy marijuana than it is to buy beer. And the reason is, is because beer and alcohol is regulated, it's controlled. They only sell it to certain people at certain ages, at certain times. That is regulated. Marijuana or heroin or all these other drugs have no regulations. They can be sold anytime, anywhere, by anybody who gets them. So it is not condoning drug use, and LEAP does not condone drug use. What we say is we need to control and regulate it, like alcohol, like cigarettes are controlled and regulated. But We know that the objective to stop all drug use in this country is a fallacy. We cannot stop all drug use. We need to control
1: it. If we look at the history of drug use in mankind, uh, uh, has there ever been a time when, that we know of that human beings have not used some kind of mind-altering substances?
0: I haven't lived throughout all of mankind, so I can't speak personally. But I believe, if you look at the history of drugs, that people have always sought out some type of drug or beverage. That alters mood and behavior, and that gives a feeling uh, of something that they are that is pleasant. Uh, throughout history, um, you can't watch any movies or television that doesn't incorporate alcohol or some drug. And we can and, and we can talk about thousands years ago when these drugs came about. I mean, these are not new drugs we're talking about that are on the market. The U.S. government has used these drugs in the past for their own purposes, whether it be methamphetamine to keep pilots awake during World War II on their long flying missions. Heroin has been used as a painkiller for many, many years. And these drugs, and marijuana has is medical community, many of them have established that there is medical uses for marijuana that I don't believe are in question by most people. Who use science, but there are still people out there that associate marijuana with a morality, and that if you use marijuana, if you permit marijuana use, it's a moral issue, and we're using police as the moral conscience of our
1: society. Um, and do you feel that that is an appropriate use of law enforcement?
0: No. Law enforcement was never intended to police people and protect people from themselves. Law enforcement was to protect society and people from each other. It is not intended to be the morality of your life and what what you can and what you cannot do in the privacy of your home. And it was intended to protect the community from people who harm the community and we have said throughout history and if you look at the history of drugs of all the drugs you will see that the reason we criminalized drugs wasn't because necessarily of accurate information it was because there were certain groups of people who were using drugs that we felt were the problem and we wanted to control them Mm-hmm. with marijuana, with cocaine, with heroin. It all involved certain groups of people who were using these drugs, and the government felt that they should control these people, so they made these drugs illegal. And that's a short synopsis mm-hmm.
1: of it. Well, and I'm I...
0: sure there were other financial considerations mm-hmm.
1: that mm-hmm. came into play. So... um if, if what you're saying is there have been certain stereotypes of drug users over the past, um, who who are the people that use drugs now?
0: Well, if you look at polls and and see that over approximately just under 50% of all high school students have tried drugs, especially marijuana, and if you look at the public, um, there's a a third of the population who has tried drugs, that doesn't mean everybody is addicted or abusing drugs.
1: And just for clarification, when you're talking about drugs, you're, you're not including alcohol as a drug in this. You're, you're talking about drugs other than alcohol? Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And, you know, to get into a discussion about alcohol, we can spend a whole show on alcohol and the damages of alcohol in our society, but you can still turn on the television and watch how alcohol is being promoted in every sport you watch, and alcohol is ingrained in our society, and I'm not saying we should make it illegal again, but we accept the damages of alcohol. We accept the social damages that alcohol plays in our society. We don't like it. and uh, We try to regulate it as best we can, um, but we've accepted it. We tried making it illegal. It didn't work. It created the same effect that the prohibition of drugs is doing. It's just that they caught on a little quicker than we did. It took them 12 years to figure it out. We've been doing this for 45 years, and we're still trying to figure it
1: out. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we've had over uh, several years um, other LEAP speakers, and you're certainly giving us a very good history and, and foundation of all of this. Um, uh, it's been interesting for me to watch uh, what has changed in, very much in the last uh, couple of years on this whole, this whole issue. Um, can you update us a little bit of what has happening? And I know it's kind of, as you said, a patchwork thing. Um, but what are some of the latest things that are happening?
0: Well, um, around the country, obviously, most people know that Colorado and Washington were the first two states to legalize marijuana for people over 21. And, and then on, uh, Alaska and, and Oregon jumped on board and legalized marijuana. And so the four states have legalized it. Washington, D.C. legalized marijuana um, last year. And like in Michigan, we have had several communities. And yesterday, just an example, of during the election yesterday, there, there was a East Lansing, which is the home of Michigan State University, they voted to decriminalize marijuana. They are now one of 17 cities in Michigan that have decriminalized marijuana. 17 cities in Michigan, so that 17 uh, jurisdictional entities in Michigan are saying it's not a crime to possess a certain amount of marijuana. However, in those 17 cities, the state of Michigan still has a law that says marijuana possession is a crime. So we have some prosecutors, some people in these cities who say, well, let's, let's just take this marijuana case as a state crime rather than a a city ordinance crime, and we'll charge them with a a criminal, uh, city ordinance violation, charge them with a criminal violation. And that is not, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the citizens of this state and of this country, the law should be clear and not be based on which law enforcement agency interacts with you to determine whether this is a crime or this is a civil infraction.
1: Now, do we have the same issue um, on federal versus state as well?
0: With a federal law, um, marijuana is in Schedule One. Explain, uh, explain there,
1: what Schedule One, what that means.
0: Drugs are placed in schedules one through five, and they are based higher the the lower the number, the more um, so called threat this drug is to society, society. So. Number one, Schedule One drugs are drugs that are high uh, likelihood for abuse and have no medical value, none. So the drugs in Schedule One, like marijuana, and heroin, are there. And then you have a drug like cocaine in Schedule Two. You have LSD in Schedule Two or Three. And then you have the amphetamines, and then you have the um, barbiturates in Schedules either 3, 4, or 5. And I don't know them all off the top of my head. That,
1: that's interesting. I never heard that before. Wow. <laughs>
0: so, but marijuana has hung in there on Schedule 1. Why? Ever since the Controlled Substance Act came about in the 1970s, because back in the 1970s, President Nixon announced his war on drug addiction. Not drug use, drug addiction. And if you remember what was going on back in 1971, it was the Vietnam War. And when our young men were sent there, and back then they weren't volunteering, they were being drafted, they got over to Vietnam. And what product did the Vietnamese offer them to escape this difficult situation? And that was heroin. A lot of the soldiers that went to Vietnam got offered heroin and they got addicted to heroin. And my understanding is that President Nixon understood that these young men who were addicted to heroin were not too valuable for the fighting force for this country. And that was partially reason for his decision, if not a big part, to have this war on drugs, because he could see where it was destroying the military and felt that he could. Wipe this out. Oh,
1: mm-hmm. Very interesting. I, I never knew that. I never knew and that.
0: And if you, what Nixon did was he appointed a commission, the Schaefer Commission, to study drugs in America. And they put together this group of people who studied drugs in America and drug addiction. And they said in their report, we do not think that we should criminalize possession of drugs. This is, and I'm not saying it, I'm not quoting it. Totally accurately, I could get the quote. But we don't believe that criminalizing possession of drugs is the answer. We feel that it is too much of a um, oh takes away too much freedom and liberty of the people, something like that. Mm-hmm. So the commission said this Nixon, we don't think we should criminalize possession of drugs, or well, we shouldn't criminalize a person who be addicted to drugs. And he went against that recommendation of his commission and said we. Are going to make a war on drugs, and we want you to stand behind me, on So I want you to stand behind me.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so that's where this, this kind of all started. I, I never knew. Correct. I never knew the history of that. Just as a sideline to that, uh, why is hemp illegal? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand that.
0: Most people don't even know the difference between hemp cannabis or marijuana. People use these words interchangeably. And and cannabis is the species of a plant. And there's three species of cannabis. There's cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, indica, and cannabis ruderalis. Those are three species of cannabis. Now, the one that's used for hemp is cannabis sativa L. There is a very low... THC level. Now, THC is the tetrahydrocannabinol that is in marijuana that creates the psychoactive is the drug. In hemp, it is very low. It's like 0.3%. In cannabis indica or cannabis ruderalis, it's a much higher level of THC, which is used for the psychoactive property. So hemp, no,
1: nobody's going to smoke hemp, Right. You can smoke it all you want.
0: (laughs) You can go out there and smoke your life away in a hemp field. The only problem is you're going to leave that field feeling the same way you did before except you'll be a little bit dizzy.
1: (laughs) No high from hemp.
0: No high from hemp. Now, I'm not (laughs) saying that if we grew hemp in this country that everybody would know that that is not the high THC and that some high school kid might drive by a field and grab a leaf and roll it and smoke it and dry it. That's possible, but I don't think there's a lot of damages to society for it. There's a small loss to the farmer, but that's about it. You so, know, if we look at hemp yeah. and the products that hemp is, has, is used for, and hemp has been used for 12,000 years in our world, China produces more hemp than any other country.
1: And, w- and, and, and what do they the, use it for?
0: Guess who the biggest importer of hemp is <laughs> the
1: U.S.? <laughs> yeah, because it's illegal here.
0: <laughs> yes. We import more hemp than any other country.
1: And what do we use it for? There are so many,
0: if you, you know, thanks to the Internet. The Internet does create some problems for people, but I'll tell you, if you want to find out information on something that's not necessarily biased just because of who wrote it, the Internet provides many sources that you can look into, um, such as hemp. I just brought it up this morning. I have it on my computer right now. The, first of all, to grow hemp, it's very easy to grow. Uh, It's very very undemanding of water. It grows very well. It's a fast-growing plant, and you don't need any insecticide put on it. Now, I know this would be bad news for Monsanto and other companies who make insecticides, but that's the downside. Mm -hmm. Hemp doesn't need insecticide. Hemp is used in almost all forms. The seeds are used as a health food. It can be turned into milk. It has high mineral protein. The The, the stalks are used for fiber to produce rope, fabrics, canvas, sails for sailboats. It's used as insulation material in homes and buildings. Also it's used, which kind of struck a note with me, for bedding for animals and cattle. And we, mm-hmm. we have dogs that we use uh, to, with straw, and hemp can be used for bedding for
3: animals.
1: I, I think I read somewhere that in colonial times, um, in certain areas, municipalities required their citizens to, everybody had to grow a plot of hemp because it was such an important product. So so if this is true and it has so many good uses, how did it ever become illegal and why?
0: Well, I believe because of the, the fear that was um, being given to marijuana in this country back in the... Oh, 40s and 50s, and anybody who's watched Reefer Madness will know that the way they show marijuana being used by people, it caused people to go crazy and commit crimes, and it, it created things like black men raping white women. I mean, it did all these things, and this is the information that was put out to the public. And that hemp, it was connected to marijuana because it's one of the species It got thrown in there as well, as far as, okay, hemp is also marijuana, so we're going to make them all illegal. Now, there's some background information on hemp. Back in the 1920s and 30s, William Randolph Hearst owned 23 newspapers in this country, and we all know what newspapers made from, and that's wood, but also can be made from hemp. Now, William Randolph Hearst had a lot of ownership into woodlots to supply his newspapers. And he was not for hemp because he didn't have hemp fields. Hemp fields weren't allowed. And you also have a guy named DuPont who was producing fabric and rope and things like that that hemp could be used for. So you do have Another story behind hemp.
1: So DuPont wasn't he uh, producing a synthetic fabric right. that would have? Right. Okay, so so hemp was a competition to him. Hemp was competition. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Now I know that money doesn't control things. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> it does, and often if we look at things deep enough, we'll see that money does have an issue with something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's not just about public good. Now during World War II, when we had such a high need for rope. They allowed hemp to be grown for those years during the war. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. The oh, rose. it was allowed at that time? It was and allowed. Then, and then made illegal again? Yep. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, well. speaking, speaking of money, um, let's talk a little bit about who profits from the war on drugs and why.
0: Well, you know, if, if we sold the war on drugs for the jobs program, it probably would be a better seller because there are a lot of jobs created by the war on drugs, not just law enforcement, corrections, uh, defense attorneys, uh, courts, um, um, people who are sent to rehabilitation or uh, rehab places after they're charged with a drug crime. Uh, There are lots of money involved in that, and when you consider most of the people in the federal system or at least half of them are in there for drug crimes, um, that's a lot of folks, and that's a lot of money, um, to have people in prison for these nonviolent drug crimes. Well, they're oh. not for possession. They're for distribution. Mm-hmm.
1: For uh, I think a figure just came out, and our listeners might be interested in this, just in the last six months anyway. The figure came out for the state of Maine of the cost of housing uh, one person In jail or prison for a year is uh, $52,000, which of course is $1,000 a week. So I think taxpayers might be interested, since we're talking about money, um, as to whether they feel their money is being well spent because it's a lot of money.
0: And and that's what's bringing a lot of the political parties together on this conversation is that the cost of incarceration, is extremely high and we have very we have the highest incarceration rates of any country in the world we incarcerate more of our citizens than any other country so we are spending a lot of money in incarceration and that it, it, the prices incarceration will range from 30000 to forty to fifty to $60,000, depending on the age of the prisoner. And these prisoners who are in their 50s or 60s have more health issues, and the prisons are responsible for caring for them. So as the mm-hmm. prisoner gets older, mm-hmm. they probably are less of a threat to society, since not a lot of 60-, 70-year-olds are out doing a lot of crime that I've seen in my career,
1: well, if somebody has a very long sentence, uh, they could go in when they were, you know, 50 and be quite a bit older and have that happen as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, if we're, if we're spending all this money uh, imprisoning people for nonviolent drug crimes, um, how's it working? Is it a deterrent to crime? Are less people uh, doing things that are against the law?
0: It doesn't change the amount of drug use Uh, with drug crimes. It's unique in that crimes against property and crimes against people, a lot of times um, you don't have a group of people to step in to take their place. In the drug distribution network, you always, since it's, it's a network of people at the top that go down to the middle, down to the bottom, you have a network. So you always have someone to take someone's place. So in the drug world, arresting people does get that person off the street. However, in the realization of drug distribution, there is always someone that steps up. So you don't really accomplish much effect on the distribution network.
1: Yeah, I know. In my work, I've I've talked to uh, people who are incarcerated who are part of this network, and actually. Uh, they have a pretty um, uh, standard business model uh, for what they do. They have, you know, a hierarchy, a sort of management system, and the lower ones are the ones that do the crime and so, and kind of pay their dues, go to jail, and eventually they kind of get promoted, and then other one, and then they don't go to jail anymore, and then the uh, younger ones come along, and they, so there, so there's a very. Um, definite uh system that is working apparently rather efficiently there um i, I just want to remind callers that we're going to open the lines now because it is it is the half hour and that number is 866-625-9378 um this is W E R U F M community radio uh 89.9 blue hill and 99.9 bangor um, we are speaking today with uh, Ted Nelson, who is a speaker for LEAP Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and we're talking about why why end the war on drugs. If you have a comment, a question for Ted, um, please call us now at that number, 866-625-9378. Um, do we uh, have a call online? That's Yo from Belmont. Are you there? Uh, from Tremont. Sorry, Yo. Good go, morning. Go ahead, Yo.
2: This is Joe in Tremont. Isn't it true the drug war isn't really about drugs, but about dividing people into warring factions to prevent opposition to corporate government? Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting community radio.
0: I've I've heard that before, that people have said that it's to control certain segments of population, um, and history of drug laws could support that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big conspiracy theorist type of person because I find a lot of them are kind of out there, and um, I don't know that there's a conspiracy to do that, but I know that wealthy people want to control those who they fear and the law is one way they
1: control them yeah um okay we have an uh yo thank you for that question we have another caller on the line we have fred from tenants harbor fred um go ahead
4: um two comments
1: yeah um
4: i wish people would uh, not separate alcohol from drugs since it is a drug uh, you know, the liquid form of which it. I think it's the only one popular or being used here and wherever I know about. Uh, the other thing is uh, what is a drug? And lately, uh, a motor, uh, motorcycle and a car goes by with super sound system and... Uh, uh, well, and from a little experience, I know that uh, loud music uh, can um, act as a drug on a person. And uh, so that kind of, uh, uh, thats you know, uh, drugs are not just something you shove in your mouth. So thanks for the program, and uh, good luck to all of us. Thanks, those.
1: Fred. Thanks, Thank f- you. thanks for calling. Yes, I, I, you know, I think anything can be a drug. I happen to love my job. I love my work and what I do, and I always call it my drug of choice.
0: <laughs> well, and true, but the war on drugs that we're talking about is specific compounds that uh, the criminal justice community is attacking. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe we're attacking uh, these other issues that people have a right to pursue. Uh, they are. Um, so I think it's a different alcohol as far as I'm concerned, uh, yes, it is a drug, and so are cigarettes. Um, but we've decided throughout history that we tried to we control those the best we can and really with cigarettes is the best example of how we control and regulated cigarettes to the point where our the smoking population in this country has really gone down. And it wasn't because of arresting people.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, we have another caller on the line. Uh, we have Gray from Hancock. Are you there, Gray? Go ahead. Yes,
2: yes I am. Thanks for Hello, calling Greg. us. Thanks for the show, and I thank you, your guest for his work. Um, I'd like to um, hear his opinion on two issues. One, uh, Ralph Nader was on this station the other day, and he did a thing about marijuana, and he was talking about addiction. And uh, I don't think that there's really any addiction issue with with marijuana use, Uh, not physical addiction. It can be habit-forming, perhaps, but nothing like cigarettes, for instance, which are highly addictive. Uh, After Vietnam, the soldiers coming back would say it was way worse to quit cigarettes than to quit heroin. Some of them did, anyway. And the other thing I'd like to... um, Anyway, as long as people like Ralph Nader, who should be examining these issues, aren't getting the proper information, uh, we're hardly going to make a change. And I'd like to know what LEAP is doing about getting accurate information out there. And second of all, um, one of the effects of hemp prohibition, which people don't talk about much, is that hemp seeds used to be a major source of high-energy nutrient for migration, migrating birds on this continent. And when it became uh, illegal, uh, it, you saw the migrating bird population suffer as a result, except maybe in Ohio where there's still some uh, ditch weed left over from the World War II hmm. Hemp for Victory program. Anyway, I'll hang up uh, now. Thanks,
0: thanks for the program. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. Thank you for calling. Uh, I'm not aware
0: of the migratory bird situation with hemp. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. That's something I have not heard much about. Mm -hmm. Uh, All I did hear about recently was a DEA agent out west in Nevada, or Arizona, saying that he was testifying before a committee that he noticed that a rabbit uh, was acting funny out in the mountains, and he attributed that to the rabbit eating marijuana leaves that were grown out there by criminals and that this was affecting the wildlife population. I don't know how you recognize a stoned rabbit from a <laughs> non-stoned rabbit. I mean, they all look stoned when they look at you. But this is the kind of um, things that people in law, some law enforcement circles, especially like DEA, are saying that to defend their jobs and their perspective is that, Oh, we're hurting animals with nar- the illegal marijuana fields, Troy. I find it somewhat silly.
1: I think I read something about Bhutan, the country of Bhutan, and that they have a lot of uh, marijuana growing wild, and it's not illegal, and nobody there is interested in smoking it, apparently, and so they sometimes try to feed it to the pigs because they don't know what else to do with it. So um, other cultures are not always you know, totally like ours for, for various reasons. The caller did bring something up that uh, that I really would like you to address, and that was what is LEAP doing to get information out to people about this? Because I know that, that you speak to groups everywhere. There's 150 speakers. So, what, what is LEAP doing to uh, educate people about the issue?
0: Well, we have a Speakers Bureau that um, people can contact, we have a website www.leap.cc. That people go and go on, and they can request the speaker. And our speakers bureau contacts the speaker and books them. And we talk to many different groups, from students dispensable drug policy on uh, college campuses, to Kiwanis clubs, to Lions clubs, to Optimist clubs. Uh, I've spoken at church groups. Uh, I've talked to Compassion clubs, which are clubs that believe in medical marijuana, and they—they, they, I've spoken to a wide array of groups, and LEAP is trying to do that all over this country and throughout the world, to try to educate people on this war on drugs and the damages it's causing society, the cost it's causing society, and really how it's very ineffective. And we have people that are very passionate about it, and we have people who, who get facts and, and obtain information that is not based on a feeling or a morality issue. It's based on on factual things and not based on what people thought 45, 50 years ago. And the marijuana, marijuana has really created a change in this environment as far as the medical part and as far as um, decriminalization. Uh, Heroin and cocaine and methamphetamine um, still is difficult for most people to accept how they could be legalized, how they could be controlled and regulated, and a lot of people have a hard time with that.
1: Mm -hmm. We have another caller on the line, Frank, uh, from Lemoyne. Frank, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Thanks for calling. Um,
0: I have to say that
5: one thing about drugs, I'm a member of the LEAP thing, but I got it on the computer several years ago, and it's really nice to have Law enforcement, former law enforcement, and even ones that are still in it, you know, finally sort through the BS and see the the reality of all this stuff. Uh, Marijuana and drugs in general, you know, basically it's an economic issue. It would be hard to get rid of the prohibition of this stuff because, well, they they get so much money for it, you know, to enforce it and so forth and so on. Um, And true disclosure, I've been smoking pot since 1962 was 16 years old and it's cost me time in federal prison for it it's cost me a lot of money over the years I don't even smoke pot much any longer but I, I don't think it's addictive and I have to day with gray, gray um, I sure enjoy having a cocktail at night but I don't really care that much about pot but I don't know the whole the whole thing is money 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 it's always about the money so growing a hemp. Burns, you know, burns cleaner it in oil, and so forth, and so on. We, the people who know it, know it. The people who don't don't want to hear it. But anyway, I thank the gentleman on the on the telephone from Michigan. They're uh,
1: doing mm-hmm. his work. Thanks a lot. Thank you, thank you for calling. Um, I think the other day, Ted, you were we were chatting on the phone, and you were talking about. Uh, was it a rotary club or a church group that you had been talking to and, and the comment, how do people react? You I mean, you're, you're really talking to groups that are, that are very middle America. Correct. So how, how do they react when you present this information?
0: Well, you, you you do okay with the marijuana because most a lot of people are accepting that marijuana is going to be a legal drug and, and a lot of people will accept that now it's getting to that point but when you mention there's other drugs they, they will ask you questions like you mean there's going to be a store selling heroin in my neighborhood you know I tell people that listen because to legalize drugs it doesn't mean you hand them out of school or that you have machines at school that kids can get marijuana and I mean No more than cigarettes are available or alcohol. Control and regulation means that the government puts distinctions on how they can be dispensed. Now, there have been countries that have used heroin clinics to deal with heroin addicts. And if we look at studies from Vancouver, British Columbia, that's had heroin clinics run by doctors, professionals, and they have counselors there, we bring people with heroin addiction into these clinics. They can give them heroin because it is physically addicting and but they also have an opportunity to deal with them as addicts and try to help them through this addiction. When the criminal justice system don't have that type of system, we basically are there to punish and to arrest people and to get them off the street. We don't solve the problem with their addiction and even if you're in prison drugs are smuggled into prison every day by either corrections officers by um, visitors if we can't keep drugs out of prison how do we keep them out of our society Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what I tell people is that we have to look at objective scientific studies of how to deal with heroin addiction not the amphetamine addiction, cocaine addiction. And there are things out now that I've been reading about recently about cocaine vaccination, where you can yes. get a vaccination and mm-hmm. that the cocaine yeah. no longer affects the receptors in your brain that give you the pleasurable feeling.
1: So this is neuroscience coming is neuroscience. at us yes. with this information. If we look at neuroscience to deal with
0: addiction, it's much more optimistic. And much more plausible than using criminal justice as a, a factor in dealing with addiction. It's not our, it's not the law enforcement community's specialist specialty to handle addiction, mm-hmm. and it's been put in law enforcement's hands by policy.
1: So, do you think this is a place where the the public, it's a public health issue, and that and that taxpayers should be. Um, looking at having uh, public health uh, areas address this? Definitely. Public
0: and social um, service agencies to deal with this. That's who are the people who specialize in addiction. That's who should be dealing with this. Law enforcement criminal justice is a convenient way for the legislature to say, like they do most problems, pass a law, give it to law enforcement, and they'll deal with it. And they will. You make a law, law enforcement will enforce it. But that's how they deal with things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whether it causes other problems or whether it solves the problem, nobody seems to care about.
1: Well, I would think as a taxpayer, I certainly care about it, and we do live in a democracy, and we do uh, talk with our vote. Uh, and And I believe that when people are informed citizens, that they they can they know to use their vote. Um, to uh, to demand change, um, I think we have another caller on the line. And is this an anonymous caller? Conservative. Mm, uh, uh, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, we welcome all callers. Uh, certainly, go ahead.
3: Okay. Um, it's Catherine. I just my name is heard so often that I just sort of thought I wouldn't say it, but my voice <laughs> is known.
1: Um, oh okay. Let me just
3: turn my radio. Okay. Go
1: ahead. I want to just say at the moment that if you are thinking of calling in, we have just Very a sorry. few minutes left on the yes, show, yes, yes. Oh, so please well, well, I am call in now. I am and saddened by the
3: disease that afflicts our society, and thus we have so many people seeking escape. Um, I myself don't like pot because it, it alters my state of reality, and I kind of like my state of reality. But as far as hemp goes, I, yes, I travel the roads, and I see all these fallow fields, and I think, oh, please... Hemp would be such a bonus to our 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 agriculture and business in this in this land of ours maine but we don't have the infrastructure and Canada you know went ahead and did that so now they're an important player but just as the farms need the infrastructure to support them them we would need that for the hemp growing but I think we can make it happen mm-hmm. I do I know we can make it happen if yeah. there's money involved in it for the farm well I know I know and if they can
0: grow it and if they can grow, put insecticides on it, I'm a beekeeper. The less insecticides out there, the happier I am. I don't like insecticides. I don't like what it does to bee colonies. So to me, it's
3: a win-win situation. It is. And, and even if we don't eat it, we certainly can make fuel and all sorts of other products from it. Mm-hmm. And if the rabbits get some? We all have to take view with that when it comes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
1: <laughs> thank you. Thank you for calling, Catherine. Um, if you are, we have just a few minutes left. To, uh, if anyone does want to call in, please call in now because we, unfortunately, are coming toward the end of the show. This is a very current and controversial topic, and we certainly could have uh, other shows. And it, listeners, let us know. Uh, what you would like to hear about on Healthy Options because we've only begun to touch the surface of, uh, is this a public health issue? Uh, What about rehabilitation? Uh, The diversion of funds towards rehabilitation? Uh, Does incarceration really work? There's lots more that we could talk about. So please let us know what you would like to hear about. would you give us uh, whatever contact information, Ted, you, you would like to give, um, either to contact you or LEAP, or uh, if someone wanted to, if somebody's from a Rotary Club or a church group and they were interested in having somebody come and speak, could you give uh, um, our listeners that information?
0: Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, LEAP has a website, www.leap.cc. That people can go to and they can request a speaker they can learn about leap and its history and uh they can donate to leap um the speakers for leap such as myself we don't get paid to speak for leap um it's not something that we are out making money doing we do it because we believe in the cause and that we believe in the necessity to change drug policy for the health of our entire nation and we sincerely believe that or we wouldn't be doing it um mm-hmm there are other groups out there that are trying to change drug policy as well. And I think some of those groups deserve attention, like Students for Sensible Drug Policy at different campuses around the country, Um uh, uh, These are young people who are trying to change drug policy, and uh, uh, they are making an effort. And I believe that young people are part of the solution to this problem. We have people out there who use medical marijuana for very, very uh, difficult things to deal with. And there's a site for Americans for Safe Access, um, which is www.safeaccessnow.org. And these groups, um, these people are looking for, let us use our medical marijuana and just leave us alone and let us deal with our pains and suffering. And if medical marijuana helps, why can't we use it? Why why isn't that part of our um, society? And there's also other groups like Drug Policy Alliance, uh, www.drugpolicy.org, which is another group that's trying to change. So there are several groups out there that are trying to deal with this because we're fighting, we're dealing with not only historical feelings, but we're also dealing with large companies that might be hurt by the legalization of drugs. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it seems as though um, there are members of all political parties now coming out uh, in favor of uh, ending the war on drugs. There seem to be uh, people for, even from conservatives, uh, libertarians, uh, Democrats, Republicans. Um, what do? How do you see politically this this lining lining up? I mean, you see this as a positive thing?
0: I do. I, I see that each political group sees some benefit. From their viewpoint, that legalizing drugs could benefit their constituents. and I see it with a conservative group, uh, definitely with a libertarian, and um, with a Democrat, as far as um, liberty freedoms, as far as um, oh, um, people being free from unreasonable searches and things. That I think that the Democrats feel that. There are certain races in this country or certain groups of people that are being mm, too much represented in the drug enforcement policy. Mm -hmm. So I think all the groups have something that they can latch on to. It's just whether or not the money behind these groups and the people who have that money have this belief. Because I feel that's where the power, I hate to say that, I think that's where the power in this society is, is with these people with money. Who want to control not only the morality but the the direction of our policies and what they feel is best for everyone?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it, I imagine it, it would be quite difficult for a politician. Uh, we've, we've had so much of a history, uh, maybe since the 1980s, on um, being tough on crime, especially people like district attorneys who I think are elected officials, and they've gotten elected on a lot of those platforms. Um, do, you, do you see uh, any of that changing? I mean, we can't ever ask a politician to commit political suicide by coming out with something that they think will really hurt them politically, but do you see more support coming? in these
0: areas i i do see more support i i would like to see the medical community come out and be more supportive of this because i think they have a big part in this as well because these are the people who are going to be handed this this situation uh more because if the policies changed about uh, drugs Then it will be up to the medical and social groups in society to deal with addiction and abuse and things like that. So I wish that we could, I wish these groups would come out um, and stand up as well. We need all the groups who are part of it uh, to stand up. Obviously, we won't get the corrections departments or the police departments to stand up and say we want drugs legalized. That's probably not going to happen. I don't expect that to happen. Um, but I would like these other groups to stand up.
1: So um, if you could give one last uh, parting suggestion to our listeners, what can an individual do in this situation?
0: Well, I think individuals can get um, themselves educated on these different issues and not rely on what other people uh, think or say about it. Look into it, uh, look into the issues of marijuana, the effects it has on people, um, scientific effects. Look at, look into scientific studies on heroin use. Look at the neuroscience of addiction and see how we're looking at addiction in a different way uh, that can be uh, changed through different types of compounds that can help uh, addiction. We need to get um, a handle on addiction and on uh, necessarily drug use, I believe that people can use drugs and still function in society uh, it 's shown every day that people do it 's just when they become your whole life like alcohol and or drugs can uh, mm-hmm. it becomes a problem. But I think people need to look at things and not just accept what somebody else says, just like what I say, I think you should look into what I say and and see if the, this is best substantiated and well, if it is you know look at it that way.
1: Unfortunately, we are at the end of our hour. Um, this has been a terrific um, discussion. I want to say thanks very much for Ted for you uh, volunteering your time to talk and your expertise to talk about this subject. All the callers that called in, uh, John, our station engineer, thank you very much. And I hope you will all join us again next month, the first Wednesday of every month at 10 o'clock for Healthy Options. Be well. I'm Andre Bella and hope to hear from you next month.
3: Support for WERU comes from Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, The Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, and The Castine Patriot, as well as the Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at penobscotbaypress.com. Support for WERU also comes from Belfast Family Planning and Primary Care, now offering comprehensive primary health care services in addition to reproductive health services and counselling. mainefamilyplanning.org.
2: Are you hungry for fresh, local foods? The WERU Live and Local Farm to Table Radio Auction has gift certificates for eight great farmers markets in our broadcast area, local craft brews and fruit wines, fresh clams, oysters, fish, dried sea vegetables, smoked seafood, fresh produce and seedlings at 20 different farms, cheeses, dairy products, and eggs, tofu from Maine soybeans, beef, pork, chicken, lamb, duck and goat meats, apples, strawberries and blueberries. All this and more is waiting for your bids on Tuesday, June 2nd from 6 to